Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. You are listening to the groundbreaking webinar entitled Conversations with Our Children. This series explores how parents can guide their children on relating to their bodies and preparing them for intimacy in their future marriage in the spirit of Kedusha and physical and emotional health. We would like to thank every participant in the original webinar series that has allowed this webinar to take place. And now we are pleased to be able to offer it on podcast form for everyone to view. Would you like to see the speakers talking? You can at mikvah.org forward slash mall forward slash rentals. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to week two for the Conversations with Your Children webinar. Thank you all for the incredibly overwhelming positive feedback that has come in over the week, as well as the valuable critique that has allowed us to tweak and focus tonight on that which is most important to you. Tonight we focus on you, finding your own inner voice in connection with conversations with your children and giving them the gift of knowledge and care that they truly deserve. We thank you for being here, we value your time, and we have worked tirelessly to ensure that tonight's session is no longer than two hours. So to that end, we intend to answer all of last week's questions and tonight's questions in a bonus fourth session recording. So keep an eye out in your email for that. My name is Chassi Rifkin, and on behalf of mikvah.org, I'd like to invite you all to follow our social media platforms, whether on Facebook, Instagram, or on the WhatsApp broadcast, so you have advanced notice of all of our amazing programs in real time. Coming up is a full line of classes to this webinar, both for intimacy and parenting teens, and we want to make sure that you know all about it. And now, as we launch tonight's session, I'd like to just point out a few important points for this webinar. On the bottom of your webinar screen, you're going to see an icon for two things a chat box and a Q&A box. In this webinar, they have two different functions. The chat box is open and you can comment there to me or to each other, but the presenters will not be seeing that box at all. If you have questions, please jot them down on a piece of paper in case they are addressed as the session continues. And then if they're not addressed, please enter them into the Q&A box or you can email it to me at crifkin at mikvah.org. Please do not enter any questions in the chat box because they won't be seen. All the questions in the Q&A box or email to me will be compiled um, and taken care of during this bonus session, which will be posted in two weeks, the week after the men's session. If you have not fully listened to part one before tonight, then please keep in mind that tonight is part two and to have proper context for tonight's class, it's really advisable to watch the sessions in order. Um, we also extended the recording time. I extended the recording for last week to go for another two weeks. And tomorrow's tonight's recording will be sent to you tomorrow and will also be available for two weeks to all be available until a week after the men's class when the question and answer session is posted. And now I'd like to introduce tonight's speakers, an incredible group of women who come with valuable experience and knowledge. First of all, we have Mrs. Sarah Maraza, a renowned veteran college teacher with decades of experience and hundreds of students. She's a teacher in Bay for High School and Seminary who has gained the trust of our girls with her vast knowledge and wisdom. She knows intimately what girls today discuss with each other and what questions are on their minds. 
Second, we have Mrs. Schiffer Sharpstein, probable co-director of Chabad at Georgia Tech and Georgia State University. She's an experienced and passionate educator teaching Kala's Chabad high school girls globally, college students and women of all ages and backgrounds. A talented public speaker who's featured lectures on Chabad.org and Beis Khan International get reviews by people around the world. We are excited to have her join us tonight. And third, we have Mrs. Rifki Biarski, a registered nurse, student midwife and Kala teacher. Rifki brings her medical knowledge to interplay with Halakha. She's a certified safety talk mentor, ex speaks extensively to our children about safety. You can follow her Women's Health and Tassim Shmucha channel on Instagram. And now for the moment we've been waiting for, I'd like to welcome our three presenters to the screen. Mrs. Tom Raza, Mrs. Rifki Biarski, and Mrs. Shifra Sharfstein. So um, welcome back. The Rambam divides the 613 mitzvahs in 14 svarim in, in Yad HaChazaka. One of those 14 svarim is called Sefer Kedusha, the Book of Holiness. And you would think, what is included in the Book of Holiness? Yom Kippur, Beis Amikdash, maybe Burning Torah. But it's interesting that in Sefer Kedusha, what's included is the laws of Bi'ais Asurais, which are forbidden relationships, and Ma'chomais Asurais, forbidden foods. And why is that called Kedusha? Because by Ayid, these two actions are Kedusha. Let me explain. We know that animals need to eat in order to survive. They eat by instinct. And they procreate to ensure the continuation of the species. And it's just natural. We logically understand that the way animals um, eat and procreate is vastly different from the way humans do. They eat, they have choice, they eat with manners, they don't hurt other human beings, they don't kill other animals, um, to eat. And they can eat healthy, they can make choices. And so too, if they don't just procreate, if they have a choice to be involved in an intimate relationship, it could be an emotional bond, they could be caring, they could be sharing, they could be in a great relationship. And that's phenomenal. Now, one may think that Yidin are humans and we are equal to the way non-Jews engage in eating and procreation slash intimacy. But here the Rambam is teaching us something different, that a Yid has a neshama, we are an Am Kaddish. And because we have a neshama, the way we eat is so vastly different. When we eat, we are eating in order to serve Hashem. We release the Nitzitzelokhi that's in the food and we elevate it and we drop Kedusha down into the world. We eat Lokavit Shabbos, the Mitzvah Shabbos. We eat matzah, it's a mitzvah to eat matzah on Pesach. Rapasha doing a mitzvah and, and if a non-Jew is sitting next to you or your dog on the floor is eating the matzah, there is no mitzvah involved. It's a totally different experience. So too, when a youth engages in intimacy, we engage in a much higher level. It's totally different, just like a human being is totally different than an animal. A yid has a neshama, our intimacies create neshamas, we draw down souls, it's a neshama connection. The shechina comes down between us. When we, when we engage in intimacy. It's a time of holiness. It's a mitzvah of Torah rule. It's a mitzvah of Aino. We're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. And therefore, when we educate, when we educate ourselves and we also ed educate the next generation about the values, healthy values when it comes to intimacy, of course, there's physical health and emotional health and that we could learn a lot um, with, from science, of course. But we also have to add a key element that the way we engage in intimacies in a holy level, it's totally different. And therefore we have to include Torah values, health, spiritual health. What does Torah have to say? What does Chassidus have to say? So that we can get the full picture as um, Kaddish as is written in Sefer Kedusha. 
You know, Sarah, this idea really resonates with me strongly. As a campus lacha, I feel like I stand with a balcony view to a world in which science is worshipped and human desire reigns, and it's failing miserably. I'll never forget Kelly, a beautiful neshama, a college girl crying to me, Shifra, I love the Torah view of intimacy you've shown us, but it's too late for me. Moments like these just ground me to this balcony that I stand on. Ashrenu, we're just so lucky. We're so lucky to have the beauty, the gift, the immense treasure that Tyra shines onto our personal intimate lives. You know, there's an amazing Gemara in Shabbos. It says, Rav Hanan Barava says, everybody knows why the kala enters the chuppah. Like everybody knows what the chas and the kala do that night. There's no secret revealed. Nevertheless, anyone who speaks explicitly about what they're doing, all good decrees are reversed to the opposite. And the Gemara continues. <laughs> it's not a good thing. But everybody knows. Yep. It's like we've got this great big open secret. Everybody knows, but nobody talks. You know, I know a teen who searched through Shulchan Arach because she wanted to do some tzniyas research for herself. You know, she's learning in school, but she wants to see it for herself. Boy, did she get a shock when she found the section headlined Hilchas Tzniyas. And she starts reading and it's all about Hilchas Bia. What title does the Tyra give to halachas related to intimacy? Hilchas Tzniyas. It's amazing. Like that's the title for halachas related to intimacy. Now here's the clincher. The reason Tyra chooses not to use explicit terms when discussing intimacy is because Tyra places emphasis on Tzniyas. And we as Yedin, we take that cue too. When we speak about intimacy, even when we refer to body parts, we choose not to use explicit or technical terms. No, 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 it's not because we're ashamed. It's not because we're uncomfortable with our body parts. We're not uncomfortable with the topic. It's because we're an Am Kadesh. And we put Sneas on a pedestal like no one else does. Hold a second, you're gonna say, at the same time, our children need to know, you know, technical anatomy terms, for medical reasons, and of course, for safety. A child has to be able to communicate what hurts and what body part was touched without their permission. They need to have those terms. So there's a balance here. There's a time to be explicit and technical, and there's a time to be elusive, private, and refined. So in those little booklets, that you all got in your email, um, you can turn to page 17. 
And on page 17, you're going to find a chart of suggested terms. After much research and consultation with Rabbanim and Mishpian, and let me tell you, the back and forth that we went on just between us, you know, back and forth with these terms was extensive, but we've compiled this list for you. And it's a list of suggested terms. That means that it's a suggestion to you. You can look through these terms and see what you're most comfortable with. Look through all of them, read through them, and find your own voice. See what resonates with you. The most important thing here, and the reason why we put together this chart for you, is because it's super important that each one of us speaks to our children. And in order to have these conversations, we need lashinas, we need words. So the most important thing is that we convey to our children the technical terms that they can use to describe their body parts and teach them the value of having Tyra terms and Sneas to describe their bodies and the incredible intimacy that they hold the keys to. The words that we choose to use are extremely powerful. So these are gonna be some of the greatest tools and keys that you will hold in your own hands. Now you're opening the charts and let me tell you, we're all gonna look at this chart differently. And that's great. You know, it reminds me of a great story about Prime Minister Golda Meir and Henry Kissinger. They were negotiating Israeli politics at a very tense time. And Dr. Kissinger says, Golda, you must remember that first I'm an American, second I'm Secretary of State, and third, I'm a Jew. And Golda Meir responds, Henry, you forget that in Israel, we read from right to left. So when we're looking at this chart, some of us will read from the right and some of us will read from the left. And that's wonderful. Whatever you need, that's perfect. Some of us are going to be so happy to have the technical terms to be able to teach those to our children. And in Hashem, at the end of today's, hopefully towards the end of today's webinar, we're going to do a little bio review with some amazing diagrams. Um, in Hashem, we're going to get there. And that'll be awesome. And some of you are going to look at the right side of the chart and read it from right to left. And you're going to love the Kedusha terms that we can inspire our children with and these words that we'll use in conversation. So being that we're all extremely bright women, you can take this chart and use it as you wish. I'm going to give you one example and just show you how to use this chart and then go for it. So the first technical word that you have in this term, again, it's on page 17. And the first technical word that you have is the word intercourse or sex. And, you know, working with college students, we have these conversations. And as we have conversations about their personal intimate lives, I say, you know, we're discussing this concept called sex. I'm a little uncomfortable with that word. I don't like it. Let me, let me tell you why. And I explain to them how this word that's you know so technical and scientific 
has become something else. It's become a word that connotes two bodies pleasuring themselves one off of the other. I prefer to use a word that actually tells me what's really supposed to be going on. And in Tyra, what's supposed to be happening is that it's not just bodies connecting, it's two minds connecting with each other, two hearts connecting with each other. And most of all, two neshamas that are becoming one with each other. And through that, the bodies become one with each other. So I'm gonna use the word intimacy. And from then on the conversation, I use the word intimacy. And you have so many other words here. Just seeing the plethora of words that Tyra gives us shows us the incredible value in this mitzvah. I mean, look at these words. You can say marital relations. You can say intimacy. Or you can say aina. Aina means her time, a special time. Or you can use an elusive word like the Tyra uses tashmish or tashmishamita, which basically just means using the bed. Or you can use a beautiful word like bia, which means that he's coming into her personal special space. Or you can use words like zivug and chibur, which connotes connection and bonding. Or you can use the ultimate word, mitzvah, because what greater mitzvah is there than this one? It's all about the unity, the connection, and that's why we have so many beautiful words for this. Now, the rest of the chart, you're going to have a bunch of technical words describing body parts, like the vulva and vagina, and each of those refers to a different part of our body, as you have on your chart, and hopefully we'll get to the diagram later. You also have some starred or dotted words. Those words may not come up. They, you may need them in conversation, and you may not. It depends on your child and the types of conversations you're having. But they're here in case you need them in conversation. So if you do need them, they're here for you. Um, and for the rest of the words, there are so many beautiful ideas um, that you can use to bring out the beautiful Kedusha that we hold in our own lives. So use that chart and enjoy and make sure to find your own voice. Okay, thank you, Shifra. That was very informative. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and share a few ideas um, before we go into this class. This class is really talking about the normal child and the normal conversation. That means that the you may notice that things um, may come up that are outside the norm. And those are what we call um, red flags. So before we start and we go through the scenarios in tonight's class, it's very important that you are empowered to know when something isn't right and when you may have to uh, stop the conversation, reach out to a therapist, reach out for help, because potentially they could be signs of something deeper that has to be dealt with. So some of the signs that are really not within um, the scope of a normal conversation on these topics um, is when your child can't have any eye contact with you. Your child can't maintain eye contact. They're looking at the walls. They're looking at the ceilings. They're looking at the floors. They can't look at you directly. They start taking out a paper, scribbling. They can't focus on what you're talking about. 
Um, although some, the second sign that might might come up is that although some children might say, ew, is that, does that really happen? They're going to say it in a very matter of fact tone of voice. But if your child says, ew, that's disgusting. Oh my God. And they just feel yucky and icky and they can't get past that feeling of, oh, this is so horrible. Then maybe it's time to stop the conversation and revisit why they had such a strong reaction to the topic. If you have this conversation, the conversation went well, but then your child starts avoiding you afterwards. They refuse to come down to the table. They refuse to talk to you. They refuse to have you come into the room to say goodnight. Um, that's a sign that something just didn't go the way it should be. And in a safe space and with you know guidance, you want to revisit why that reaction happened. If your child suddenly starts saying, Ma, I have the biggest stomachache, I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna throw up, or I have a headache and I, I think I need a Tylenol, I don't feel good. Those are very physical symptoms of distress. Something's triggering them to really not feel settled about this topic. Um, or something on the opposite end of the spectrum of like daydreaming and not focusing on the conversation is really having a strong reaction and getting angry getting up, throwing things, screaming, slamming a door, you know, having a very angry and aggressive response to the conversation or a very fearful response to the conversation. Ma, what's going to happen? Is it going to, is it going to cause me to get sick? What's going to, am I going to, is, is this, is this have to happen? Those type of reactions are very, very intense. And they're really a sign that you have to stop the conversation and see what else is happening. Some of the red flags that are not attached to the conversation that you may have um, in a more general sense that may want that may be an indication that you want to address this, this conversation with a little bit more guidance than a regular child or a regular situation is if you see that your child has an overarching um, obsession with their own safety or the safety of their family. They're having too much sleep. They can't sleep. They're having too little sleep. Um, they are eating too much or they're eating too little. These type of changes in your child are a sign that something else is up and we really want to deal with that before we deal with the conversations. If you're noticing any of these things in your child, it is very important that you reach out to professional help. If you're not sure where to start, that's okay. Um, a lot of people who are dealing with situations that are out of the norm are not sure where to start. So what we recommend is that you reach out to Relief um, and they will ask you the pertinent questions, including your insurance and um, what your needs are, and they will help guide you to the correct person to really give you the advice and the help that you may need. So that's about abnormal conversations and red flags that might come up. But now we're, let's go right back into the regular conversations. Let's go into the normal conversations with the regular children who are having a regular conversation, who are excited, who are curious, who think this is interesting. And Ma, this is such a great conversation to have. Um, so we have to really start way back in the beginning. So if you turn to page 19, we're gonna go through part of each box and we're going to go through the developmental stage of each child so that you understand the thought process and the place that your child is coming from. And then we're gonna go through scenario number one and I'm gonna go back to this page throughout the scenario and we're gonna go through the tools, the overarching tools and how to talk to each child as it relates to the developmental age. So the first developmental age that we're talking about, which really isn't the first developmental um, age overall, is early childhood and preschool. This is all of your children from ages two, three, four, 
five, all the way through first grade, um, what they're doing at this age and their developmental stage is that they're asserting personal control and independence. They really want to show that they can do things on their own. They are a person who's making choices. So this is a really great time to really establish body ownership, to establish a sense of autonomy, to give them that sense of control. And when they have this, we eliminate a lot of the shame and the guilt and the self-doubt that comes with a lot of very, very sensitive conversations. And these are really things that we're trying to avoid when we, when we touch on sensitive conversations. So it's very important that we do give our children a sense of control and a sense of ownership and a sense of independence during this age. The second stage that we're going to be talking about is your school-age children. So when we're talking for the sake of this discussion, when we're talking about school-age children, we're talking about children in grades one, two, three, and four, okay? So up to the end of fourth grade. For the average child, now obviously you're gonna see your, if your child's more advanced and very precocious, they may slip a little bit more into the fifth, sixth you know, grade range, but for the most child, it's grades one through four. During this time, your child is really developing their sense of self within their environment. So they're building up who, they're trying to discover who am I? Who am I in relation to the world around me? Um, so our goal is to really develop and to talk to the child about who they are and what they are and what they can contribute to the surroundings. Um, and by doing this, we really build a sense of confidence. So it's very important that we nurture that part of our children because this will help weather the teenage years ahead. The third developmental stage is your teenagers. And for the sake of this discussion, um, we're actually putting, uh, we're putting a little bit, sorry, the third stage is middle school and it's the beginning of teenagehood. So over here at this stage, they're solidifying who they are and what their role is in the world. So these are, they're coming towards the ages of questioning the surroundings, giving opinions on their surroundings. They're developing their own sense of boundaries. They're pushing the boundaries. And it's super duper important, as important as it is to add Kedusha to every single age, this is the age that we wanna really put a strong emphasis on Kedusha. Now, high school and seminary and up, they're going to be forming deeper relationships and intimate connections with everyone around them. So they're developing deeper, more soulful connections with their surroundings. Um, and this is going to be the building blocks for the relationship that they're going to have with their spouse. When these are successful, your children are going to feel strong. They're going to feel connected. They're going to feel like they are worthy of this strong, positive, intimate connection. We're going to start with um, we're going to start with the meat and potatoes. So I'm going to hand the uh, mic over to Shifra, and then we're going to go back to this page. So don't get confused. Hold on to to the thoughts that we just shared. Thanks, Rivki. And now what we've all been waiting for, we are going to go through some great questions and scenarios and discuss them together. And for the purpose of this part of the conversation, each of us will be renaming ourselves to the age that we represent. So Rifki will be renaming herself to preschool and elementary school. I'll be renaming myself to middle school and Sarah will be renaming herself to high school. So here we go. Such tech savvy woman here. We did it, <laughs> oh, almost. <laughs> Great, so growing up, Around the dinner table, my father 
Rabbi Tzvi Freeman would share questions from his Chabad.org Ask the Rabbi inbox. And he would give examples. And then he would ask us, how would you answer? Um, he would say, a woman wants to know if she can cook kosher food in a non-kosher pot. What would you answer her? And we would all, you know, chime in. And then my father would say, well, what we did is we asked her why she was asking that question. And it turned out that she was going through something very difficult in her life. And when we found that out, we were able to help her. We answered her question, but we also really helped her. So because we asked her why she was asking that question, we were really able to give her so much more than just the answer to that specific question. And so we learned as children, and we heard this again and again, don't answer the question, answer the person. When our children come to us with questions, let's take interest. It's an amazing opportunity to take a peek into their cute little minds, their brilliant minds, and to connect with them. And then we can answer the person, not just the question. And most of all, we need to continue the conversation. You know, we may think that we have a conversation with our child when they come to us in fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever grade, and we tell them and we give them answers, and it just goes whoosh over their head and they didn't even hear anything that we were saying it was you know not for them at the time but if we continue the conversation over the years it'll be something constant that they'll always come to us to we'll be the ones to have these beautiful conversations with them and for all of us nervous moms tonight is about us mothers it's about each mother finding her own voice Listen to each scenario, listen to each question, listen to the answers we give and choose what you're comfortable saying. Find your own voice. You are the mother of your precious children and they deserve to hear from you and not from everybody else out there. So you find your own voice tonight. And don't worry about messing up. <laughs> it's part of being a mother. I took my children horseback riding the other day and they asked the instructor, do you ever fall off? And he laughs, if you ain't falling, you ain't riding. What matters is how fast you get back on the horse. If you're not messing up, then you're not doing anything. So don't be afraid to mess up. Just keep trying. What's most important is you're the one having these conversations with your beautiful children. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask the first question and each of us will give an answer for that age group. But for the first question, what we'll do is Rifki is going to afterwards explain why we each gave the answer that we did. That way you'll have the tools to be able to give your own answers to the unique questions that your children come up with. So are we ready? Here we go. The first question, and you have this in your booklet as well, which you can feel free to follow along inside all the common questions, and that begins on page 20. The first question that we have, yes, page 20. But if you want to go back to the, the, the developmental stuff, then you'll go back to page 19. We can flip. We're talented. So where do babies come from, your child asks you. 
They're so curious. Mommy, how did the baby get in and how does it get out? Okay. So with your preschooler, you're going to be really matter of fact. You want to establish trust. You want to be honest. You don't want to give any nicknames, but you really want to give as little information as possible. So your conversation can look like this. You know, Shafla, your the baby came, the baby, sorry. See, even I mess up. <laughs> Just try again. Um, so with the preschooler, you could say, look, Hashem put the baby in mommy's stomach and Hashem will help the baby come out. And then you can tell your, your, your little daughter or your little son, you know, you know, mommy made for dinner. Mommy made meatballs. It's your favorite dinner. Or you could say, you want to see this picture of an ice cream I can make? At this age, it's really okay to use distraction as you continue the conversation. They really don't need a whole lot. You don't have to take out pictures. You don't have to start going into it. Very, very matter of factual. Now your first and fourth grader, your first through fourth grader, you're gonna say a little bit more, but again, you're gonna really start with the facts um, and be very honest. So before you start, like what you first said, you're gonna question the context. And this is with all the questions. You're gonna say, where did you hear? Um, where did you hear? What did you hear? What did, did you read something? Did you hear something? Did your friend tell you something? And then you're gonna go right into it. So for this particular question, you can answer something like this. Mommy has one part and Tati has another part. When they get married, Hashem makes sure that a baby could be born. What we have to emphasize here is that, you know what, there's a Hashem here. There's a magical ingredient between the mommy and Tati that really is able to create this baby. At this point, you're gonna stop. You're gonna assess. Your child might be ready to skip off and play Chinese jump rope. They may be done. They don't want more. They don't need more. They're satisfied. But they may not. They may be looking at you a little bit funny and asking you, you know, but then where does it come out? My friend said it comes out of the belly button. So you may have to give a little bit more information, but you're going to stop and assess what the information that they need is. Um, so let's say they ask that question. They say, so does it come out of the belly button? You can answer something again that's very factual, but not too much information for the child. No, Hashem made a special opening that will help the baby come out. And that really might be enough for your child. Um, but what you want to do here is give them context that they can come back to you at a later date, at a later age, and really ask for more information and ask for more details. Now, even if the question is shocking to you, when we're gonna talk about such questions, let's say you're really thrown off, it's your first grader and you're not sure. What's very important at this age is to keep the lines of communication open. So keep a poker face. That means they don't have to know that you were like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this conversation. They were just in diapers yesterday. They don't need to know that. You're gonna, you're gonna just keep a calm face and, and ask the questions and connect to your child, make eye contact and really, um, assess the need for information as you go through um, whatever the question is. Now, Shefra, I'm going to pass the mic over to you, and you're going to answer the middle school kids. So your middle school child comes to you with this question, and obviously, you know, you speak to them. Oh, it's a very good question. So happy you're asking. Do you want to tell me what you think? What are your ideas? What have you heard? And then you'll give them an answer that's age appropriate and appropriate for their developmental stage. So you'll tell them, you know, in the male body, uh, the man has cells in a very holy part of his body, in a part that's filled with Kedusha. It's called the bris, the kayach, ice bris, kaidesh. And 
you can tell them that over there, there are special cells and they hold the future of Am Yisrael. And inside of the mommy, there is an incredible creation. It's a beautiful egg. And this egg also holds the power for creating, for bringing down an neshama into this world, for creating a baby. And the cells from the male body get released into the female body where the baby is going to get created. And when that happens, it draws down an neshama into this world. And that's why it's a very holy event. It's something very, very special. And that's why it's private. And that's why when a man and a woman get married, we call it Kedushin, from the word Kedusha. You know the word Kedusha, like the Kaidish Kadashim and the Beisam Mikdash. That was the place that had the most Kedusha. And so the place where this happens is called the Kaidish Kadashim because it's a very, very holy place. And that time when it happens, the time that it happens in is a very Kedushatik time when a husband and a wife show love and they show connection with each other. They show physical connection with each other. It's a very Kedushatik time. And it's also a time that's filled with a lot of enjoyment and love and happiness that the husband and wife have together with each other. And it's to you as moms now, it's very important that we preempt sharing this information with them. Even if your home is a very private home and you feel that, you know, your kids are not privy to this information, they may hear it elsewhere and they may hear it elsewhere first. You really want that you should be the first one that tells it to them. Don't let them hear it from a place that's not Kedusha and then you're going to have to come and fix it. Rather, let them hear it from you and they'll know this is a Kedusha Dika thing. And then when they do hear it, because they will hear it from elsewhere, they'll see that as the, you know, something else. I heard that this is something filled with Kedusha. Even if I see it somewhere on a billboard or in a video or whatever else it is, I know that it was something Kedusha Dik because I heard it first from my mother. Rifki. Okay. So one of the things that I really want to point out that Shifra did in her example is number one, she was really truthful. Okay. It's very important that we don't lose the trust that our children have in us, that they, we want them to keep coming back to us for information. We want them to keep being um, connected to the Kedusha. The second thing that if you notice Shifra did is she spoke a little bit about the psychosocial part of it. What that means for people who don't know what psychosocial means, it means that they, she spoke about the emotions and the surroundings that are attached to this. She spoke about the love. She spoke about the connection. This is the age where it's appropriate to start to bring a little bit of that in because that creates a sense of positivity that takes away the, se the sense of shame and guilt that, that may be attached to it when they're talking to their friends. The third thing that she did, and she did this for a while, and it's very important, is she focused on Kedusha. Your child is at an age where they can really absorb that. And it's very important to add the Tyra perspective and the Chassidisha perspective um, within this topic. In this age, um, if you are taken aback, what you can do is tell your children, you know what, um, let's create a time 
where we can talk about it. I create a separate time. I come back to it. If if they see that you're getting uncomfortable, it's okay to tell them, you know, I I'm, I'm, I need to practice giving you the best information. I need to really, this is so important to me. I want to give you everything that's important in this, um, in this topic. And you can revisit the conversation if you don't feel ready for it. You can ask them their thoughts, their opinions. You can connect to them in this conversation and really continue to leave the door very wide open that they'll come to you. Um, one of the ideas that has come up that's really useful for this age is to create some sort of notebook that they can ask the follow-up questions to these conversations. So you could tell them, you know, if you have follow-up questions and you may feel a little bit uncomfortable or mommy's very busy, if you have a house with a lot of children, they could write on the notebook, slip it under your pillow, and it's your private conversation notebook between the two of you. And they could just tell you, Ma, I have, you know, I put something under your pillow tonight. Can you check before you go to bed? And then you can continue the conversation in a little bit of a um, more non-stressful environment if that works for you. Now, regarding the high school and up, we're gonna pass right on to Sarah. So hi, everybody. The first thing, I wanna just add, thank you, Rifki, so much. I wanna just add a few little points. So number one, it's very important that you assess the environments of your daughter. Um, the sons will be spoken about next week by the um, men panel. But for today, if your daughter's exposed to movies, internet, or she has friends that have a lot of exposure, the chances are that she will learn about more facts than Schiffer mentioned even, um, the exact way that um, the man, she says, releases those cells into the woman's body. You may have to tell her that information as well, even before high school. I could tell you from experience, I interviewed a lot of girls on this, and most girls who are exposed or have friends who are very exposed, between fourth and seventh grade, max, they already heard the full picture. So you have to know your child, you have to know the environment of your child. Um, again, like Rifty mentioned, the most important part is conversations. If they hear something first from a friend and they could come back to you, that is great that they know they can come back to their mother but that does not always happen so when we get to high school i just want to add another detail a lot of girls in high school feel more comfortable to speak to not their mother to speak to somebody else because they don't want the, their mother to know how much they're exposed or what they know what they're into so if we mentioned in the la um, last week um a, a high school age child definitely should have access to somebody else that's the same as with a shame of like their mother, just to make sure they have someone to ask those questions. So when someone, a high school girl asks, how do you, how, what was the question? Like how our babies come in, how do babies go out? In ninth grade, they do have biology. So number one, get very technical. I mean, you get very technical if they don't know yet. Um, sometimes the parents like Shifra mentioned did speak, the mother did speak at a younger age, but maybe she just didn't get the right information. She got confused. So again, ask, so what do you know? What, what do you remember? What do you know about our last conversation? Or what did you hear? How exactly the babies come in and they come out? And based on that, you could continue the conversation further. So number one, make sure they know the facts. They're not confused with the facts. Number two, um, you may be shocked about some of the things that they know that you are like, what, so young, you know, all that stuff. Like, don't show shock. I want to emphasize again, you want to keep the lines of communication open. You want them to come back to you. If you're not sure how to answer, again, validate the question, say yes, we'll talk about that later. But here, 
it's all once they're in high school, I want to emphasize over and over again, because we live in such a secular world, and even if they're deaf, dumb, and blind, um, it's all over the place. The schmutz finds every opportunity to add in Hashem in the picture. So even we're talking, even if they know all the technical stuff, you add again, whatever Torah value you want to add to the conversation. Do you want to add what a miracle it is? Could you imagine how the male cells have to travel and travel and get the fallopian tubes? Wow, and they meet and they, it's wow, what a miracle. Every child that's born, what a miracle. Like that could be one concept. Or there are other Torah values that we spoke about yesterday you want to add. So besides the facts, choose a Torah value that you want to add into the discussion. So rep continue, Shifra. I think we're ready for the next question. So now we're going to have some fun and move on to a whole bunch of a friend told me that. And I'm sure we've all got kids who come home telling us, a friend told me that. So this can be a lot of things, but we've got just a few for you here tonight. So the first one is, a friend told me that men and women sleep together. What do you answer preschool kids? Okay, so your preschooler, you're going to do the same thing that we did before is be truthful and then move on. So you're going to say, yeah, they do. You want to see something cool? And you just move on to the next thing. Okay, so what we did here is we gave truthful, no extra information. Uh, but what we don't want to do is go, oh, who told you that? I'm going to call their mother. This is not okay. We're, by using those type of reactions, we really close the door to further communication. In your first and fourth graders, you're gonna do something very similar. You're gonna say, yeah, sometimes husbands and wives do. And now you're gonna add a little bit more. You're gonna say this is because they love each other, but it's something private. What we wanna make sure is we wanna ensure that they know that this is normal. We wanna make sure that they know that this is healthy. And we wanna make sure that they know that this is something good and okay within the context of marriage. Over here, you can plug in, um, a, a, an additional set you could use this to segue into talking about privacy you could talk about you know that's why when mommy and tati's door is closed you really have to knock um, that's why we don't go into other people's parents rooms when we're going to visit them you have to respect the privacy between um within the the mommy and tati's bedrooms um ricky what if the child is coming to you with a feeling of ew Something if, if your child came to you already with saying ew, then you would, you know, show them how warm and cozy it would feel. You would bring your child close, give them a hug and say, is this ew? No, it's yummy. It's cozy. Mommy loves you. This is how I'm showing my love to you. And then your child is probably going to give you a hug and a kiss and really jump away at that age. They really don't need a whole lot more than that. Okay, great. So then we would move up to middle school. And they say, is it true that men, you know, I heard men and women sleep together. So they would say, yes, husbands and wives do. Do you remember how you learned in Chumash or in the Parsha that Yaakov moved his bed into Rachel's tent? You could bring different examples from the Parsha of that week or from the Chumash that they're learning in school. Um, and you explain to them that when a husband and a wife sleep together, it's in a loving way. And when it happens in a loving way, then the Shrina, Hashem's presence, comes into the home. We tell them, Ish v'isha zachor, Shrina b'neihem. 
when a husband and a wife sleep together in a loving way, Hashem is there with them. Um, and if they, you know, take what you're saying and they think, ugh, this is gross, then you show them Tyra examples. Show them examples inside of a Chumash to show them that Tyra feels that this is beautiful and filled with Kedusha. That's middle school. Okay, I just want to reiterate, middle school can kind of also be in high school or lower high school. Again, find your voice, know your child, but the most important thing is if the Kedusha comes before what's out there in the secular world, that's really, really super ideal. So I just want to say when they say sleeping together, at what age, what does it mean sleeping together? Some of them refer as sleeping together just to share a bed. And sometimes sleeping together, they know it's being totally intimate. You want to, again, find out what they're really asking. And um, if they are referring to full intimacy, I will say, well, that's what Tarsim Shvach is all about. That's the beauty. It's so holy. And when, and when husbands and wives prepare to sleep together and draw down on a Shomer, Tarsim Shvach is the holy setting. It's the mystery that we keep to make sure that a child is drawn down in Kedusha and Tara. And then if you want to have other values that you want to share, you want to share again about privacy because of the Kaddish Kedoshim. In Yomim, the Kaddish Kedoshim is referred to as the bedroom is where the Shechim has gone down. You want to talk about the Kruvim. Do you want to talk about um, the deep soul connection? It's two halves of one Neshama when they join together, the Shechim come down between them again, over and over again. We want to emphasize Kedusha and holiness. Great, so now we can move on to our next. I, oh, but Sarah, I was gonna ask you, what if they're talking about outside of marriage? Okay, if they talk about outside of marriage because they, they live in, a, in an environment that's real or they heard about it, we have to be very real and we have to kind of lay it down 100%. And I, would, and I, would, and I see this works for the girls over and over again and they, appreciate it. So this is what I'm going to say. We talk about Kedusha's Am Yisrael. Think about it. All, every single Yid, the Jewish nation, excuse me, is the only nation that existed from Matan until today. Every single Neshama is accounted for. Every single Neshama is drawn down and we know where it comes from, who it comes from. And there's Geirim. We, every single Neshama is accounted for. And for the continuity of the link of the chain and Am Yisrael, the Abisha created so many mitzvahs and so many halachas to make sure that every neshama is drawn down and complete Kedusha and Tara. And every woman, every girl sitting in this room, could you imagine Hashem entrusts you with this beautiful and holy task of retaining and maintaining that Kedusha's Amisrol and making sure that the neshama that's drawn down through your guf is drawn down with the highest level of Kedusha and Tara. And uh, we make it very clear if it's true that when men and women sleep together, their bodies connect, there's a lot of pleasure involved. So there is, of course, a taiva sometimes to continue and be intimate out of marriage or before marriage, but that is one of the harshest sins. It's a real avera. And even the non-Jewish world, it's not something, it's not free-for-all either. You know, it's really not a free-for-all. So as Yidin, we have to know those halachas. And then we explain that it's not just about sleeping together because Bar Hashem, 
as we'll discuss in a later question, there's such a strong desire and men and women, uh, males and females want to connect. They were sure gave other mitzvahs, the laws of Kriva, the laws of Yichod. This is just to make those fences and guard Kedushas Am Yisrael. Very, very important. Now, I want to add another little detail. It's not such a detail anymore. But as parents, we have to know and we have to assess our relationship with how we serve the alcohol. Um, statistically, in in Jewish communities, when girls especially have crossed boundaries, halachic boundaries, there was alcohol involved. And unfortunately, I want to tell you the reality nowadays that it became so common for high school girls to party with wine and alcohol as if like it's commonplace. There's a halacha that single girls are not allowed to drink in front of men. They're not allowed to get intoxicated. It's, it's a din. But we have to say it explicitly. And if they if they're unfortunately going to a party and you know that, you may want to, you have to know your child, you have to know their environment. You may, you may want to give them posh practical tools, bring a friend with you that won't drink, have somebody there with you to make sure that boundaries, any type of boundaries aren't crossed. We have to be a little bit, we have to lay it down. We have to lay it down for real. It's not like a wishy-washy. We have to lay it down as is. Again, starkite, but then go right back to about, wow, look at you. Look how Hashem entrusted you. You, every individual, the picture in your mind the future dynasty of Amistral that you will create because you up because you were so strong and you're so careful and you were able to uphold Kedusha's Amistral. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so here's the next one. Your kid comes to you and says, My friend told me that there's a word called sex. What is that? And I have to say, because <laughs> there's this great one about little Yankee who comes home and he runs over to his Tati on the couch and he says, Tati, what does sex mean? And the father turns red and white and purple and aquamarine and <laughs> says, okay, here we go, and starts the whole conversation. And then afterwards, the Tati says, but Yankee, tell me, why did you want to know what that word means? And now Yankee is looking very confused. <laughs> and little Yankee says, well, mommy told me that I should wait a few secs. So from that cute little joke, the main point is ask for context. Before you start giving answers, your child comes to you with a question, find out what the question is, where it's coming from, and what the child really wants to know. So go ahead, Ricky, with preschool. Okay, so your preschooler, um, this is, first of all, for the Crown Heights moms listening in, this is less likely to happen in Crown Heights than it is for our out-of-town moms. Um, if your preschooler comes over and asks you this, uh, what you can say is, again, very factual, but just what they need to know. Sex is how our bodies are different. There's the male sex and there's the female sex. Boys are called males and girls are called females. And they'll be like, oh, cool. She just answered my question. They're done. Um, when it comes to your elementary kids, so that's your first, first through fourth grader, you're going to start like what you first said. You're going to say, what? Who, what were you talking about before this conversation came up? Who were you talking about? What, what happened after the conversation? You really need the context because you don't want to give a kid this age too much information, which they really don't need. And they may not even be able to process. 
So if giving the same answer you gave your preschooler, you know, sex is boys and girls, males and females, if that's enough, go with it. That may just be enough. If the friend who they heard it from or the experience that they heard it from or the video that they watched or whatever they did um, that brought this question up really gave them a lot more information, then you're going to reframe it in something really positive. You're going to say it's the love and the hugs and the kisses between a couple that makes them come together um, and really, really show their love to one another. And then you could say something, you know, by the way, in science, we use the word sex. But for Yidin and Tara, we have our own language. We have our own way that we speak about this holy time. So we're going to really try not to use the word sex because it really is something holy and private. Um, and then you could continue the conversation and say, you know, this is something that, you know, if you ever have questions with, you could come back and talk to mommy, but we don't really want to talk to our friends about this. And they're really at an age where they can accept that and understand that. Um, moving up to the middle schooler, Shifra, I'm handing the mic over to you. So I'm so happy you asked. You know, it's a very powerful word, but I don't like to use it because people use that word when they talk about um, a man and a woman whose bodies are coming together. We as Yidin, we don't even have a real word to describe this moment because it's so special and it's so amazing when a husband and a wife come together closely with their bodies. We can say Tashmishamita, we can, using the bed, we can say Bia because the man is coming into her special space. Um, we can talk about what the Tyra has to say about coming into a special space that he's coming towards her. The Tyra really wants us to know that this is not just about bodies. This is about neshamas coming together. It's about love and the love that a husband and a wife have for each other that's being created at that moment. It's much more about intimacy, about being connected. So it's really not just about the bodies. It's about the neshamas. The mind's connected, the heart's connected, the neshamas are connected, and the body is part of all of that connection. Um, this also might be a great time. You can, you can add a little bit more about Hilchas Yom Kippur, if they're familiar with any of that. Um, we can tell them that this is a zivug, they're, they're paired up, they're coming close together. Um, and just... Be, tell them that that word is not a word that we love to use. That might be enough. That really might be enough. You can stop, you can reassess, you can ask them, you can think. Um, if they ask any follow-up questions and they're curious about more, then you can give them more information that when parents are connecting and loving in a private space, so then you can explain to them that then the man's aver, the man's bris or however you want to refer to that body part becomes ready it becomes hard and it comes inside of his wife inside of her special place and they become one at that moment um we can mention at that moment a man and a woman are connecting and they're becoming one with each other like adam and chava 
And at that moment, it's such a powerful moment that the Shekhinah comes down through this husband and wife, through this couple. It's a very, very special, powerful moment. But because Gayim don't have Hashem involved in all of this, so for them, it's just a technical thing. That's why they're using this word sex, because it's just about bodies. But for Yidin who have the Abishter involved, it's intimacy, because for us, it's all about a connection with Hashem's presence. That's middle school. So I want to add, I first want to complete what I said before about the alcohol. Married woman, even if you're married, if you're not in the presence of your husband, the din is as well that we don't drink alcohol either to the point of getting loose. Thanks, just a little addition. So what Schiffer said, if by, in high school, there's a lot of girls that by the time they're in high school, and again, you have to know your child, you have to know their environment, that have watched tons of movies and have so much misinformation that they truly believe that if you want to be a firmayid, you can't have fun, you can't enjoy it, that there's so many rules. So that's a misconception that we have to make right away. We have to say that there's tainug, there's joy. It's a, it, it's, it's, and we could even teach chassidus about it, but now the time is too short for that. But we have to, we have to, that's one myth that for sure has to be dispelled. And another one is, and they get this a lot from what they watch, they think that men are exploiting women's bodies and women's bodies were created to make men happy. And they have to have a perfect body image for a man to look at them and chase them around. So we have to spend a while saying that there's a mitzvah called Aina. When you get married, there's a man has to provide for his wife food, clothing and shelter, and physical expression of love, her time with her, her time alone with her. There's no exploitation. And he loves you for who you are. And he, and he extends it to loving your body too. There's communication, there's feedback. It's a mutual relationship. And that's so refreshing for them. Like they think it's only about making babies. They don't even know there's a mitzvah of oina. And that is something that we want to interject, especially for the girls who are exposed. Again, it's about consent and, and about pleasure. And not just consent, that he's there to dote on you. He's there to make you happy. He wants to take care of you. And for, for them, such a foreign concept that the, he has to make me happy. I thought my body was created to make him happy. So I just, those are from the two biggest misconceptions, okay? That there's not just about having babies. I mean, three, not just about having babies, that we can have a good time and have a lot of fun when we express ourselves. And the idea of, again, um, consent and, and feedback and togetherness. I do want to add, I'm like, I'm not surprised anymore but there are so many, um, there's so, a lot of the girls know very, have very specific questions and it's important that you know those answers. It could be you were taught way back when, this is what you do, these are the rules. And maybe you weren't taught the nuances, you know, that there's, there's a broad scope that could be mutter or usr or minhal. And if they, they're, especially over COVID, there are so many um, free seminars from all kinds of, people and they got so much misinformation or confusing information. You may want to educate yourself a little bit more. If you're the one that your daughter's having a conversation with, you may have to know much, many more details than ever before than you would think a high school girl knows. Now, do all high school girls know? Not at all. So it's really very tricky. Some girls are totally fine. You know, even if they don't hear about how intimacy, how babies are created, they're fine without it. They're not curious. The conversations that goes on with their friends, doesn't matter. 
So let's go back to find your own voice and know your child. They, they go together, find your own voice, you know your child best, assess the situation, and of course, um, make sure that they know the entire view. That's really our responsibility as mothers. Thanks, Sarah. So another, um, another, your friend, your child's friend told them. So my friend told me that she got her period and it has something to do with pregnancy. Um, Rifki, did you want to just jump in? Yeah, I want to, I want to just jump in and say something here. So um, a lot of times we think about the age that we need to talk to our children about this and it in our minds, it's like, oh, when they go to sleepaway camp. So that's like 11 years old, we should start talking to our children about periods and things that, you know, are related to that and how our body works and what goes where, etc. Really, this discussion should be happening at an age where some people who are having their first order might take a step back and that's eight years old. At eight years old, some girls will start entering puberty. They may not need all the information at that time, but you need to give them something that they could come back and continue to have a, a very detailed, in-depth discussion with you when they do have their period. So if anyone's going to ask, when should I initiate this type of conversation? It's at eight years old. You can start discussing, you know, there's a body part that you have that nobody else has, and that's called a uterus. Um, and at the end of this video, at the end of this session, Sarah is going to show us how to have a very interactive discussion with your children and show them in a very user-friendly manner how that works. Um, Shifra, I'm going to pass the mic back to you to go ahead and talk about the middle schooler who's the more likely age that they will get their period around fifth, sixth grade. So go ahead, Shifra. So great. You're so happy you say Mazel Tov. Now, sometimes we've had great conversations with our children with all the information about getting their period and what happens with their body and how it all works, but sometimes they just get confused. It's a lot of information. It's very overwhelming. Um, and they just might have missed up, mis mixed up the facts in their head. So we're simply going to re-explain the facts to them. You know, explain the entire thing, how their body works, um, and we can tell them. So a period is the potential to have a baby, but it is not yet a pregnancy. There is no baby that's actually happening yet. So you can use pictures, not necessary, but if it's needed, we'll show you the diagrams at the end. You can explain the uterus and the fallopian tubes. Um, and you can also add, if necessary, um, that there's actually another part that's needed in order for a pregnancy to happen. And that is the male cells or the zera, which are going to be needed from a man in order for the woman's egg to actually be fertilized, to actually turn into a baby. So it's not going to happen until somebody's actually married. By high school, yeah, by high school, I hope they already know the, the beauty of the period. I want to, just from the college speaker, teacher's perspective, please explain how a period, because it's uncomfortable for them to have a period. We have to re-emphasize, wow, you're getting ready to draw down in the shama. I have girls that tell me, my mother told me we had the period because of the sin of Kava. Like the way we tell our children about our, our period has a tremendous impact for the entire future. Agreed. So great, next one. I was actually driving with my kids and there was a beautiful new mikvah going up here in Atlanta. 
And my son looks out the window and he says, why are they wasting so much money on building a mikvah for women who never use a mikvah? So what if your child comes and says, my friend told me that women go to the mikvah. What do you say? So if this is your preschooler, a little kid out of town who sees a mikvah, and this, you will add to them, yes. And then they're going to follow up, really? When? Um, or they may not. That might be enough. But if they follow up when, you're going to answer also very honest, but really a small amount of information. Akala, before she gets married, goes to the mikvah. Now, your first through fourth grader, again, you're going to start really simple. Yes, the women do use the mikvah. When do they go? They go after they're married, before they're married, and after they're married. This is part of a mitzvah called Taras HaMishpacha. Over here, they may follow up. Your very smart, curious children will follow up and say, really, Ma? How come I don't know that you go? Um, and then you can say, you know, because certain things in life are private. I don't have to share that with you. That's something that I don't, that is really private. And you could segue into really respecting the boundaries and respecting mommy and Tati's privacy. And if you have to do that, it's a great place to do it right there. Um, going to middle school, Shifra. So middle school, we say, yep, they do. And actually there's a whole section in Halacha that deals with Hilchas Nida that talk about women who go to the mikvah. And you're going to learn all about it in the, when you need to start keeping those halachas before you get married. Um, and you can emphasize to your child that this is something personal and it's something private. And that's why it wasn't discussed before. And you're actually not gonna know when mommy's going to the mikvah or not. And if they probe and they say, hey, are you going tonight? then you can just, you know, say matter-of-factly to them, this is actually something private and we don't ask mommy where she's going. We don't need to ask, ask mommy where she's going every single night. You can show them that they can honor your privacy, but at the same time, there's no shame. There's no need to hide this. There's no need to hide mikvah because you want to emphasize to them how beautiful this is and how filled with kedusha it is. And at the same time, maintain the privacy. You don't have to tell your kids everything that you're doing. So getting into high school, especially upper high school, um, the girls should have their most beautiful presentation of a mikvah. They should have a mikvah tour. I believe in it strongly. We don't know where our high school girls will land. Bar Hashem, most of our girls and all levels of connection to Hashem do make it through a high school. And we have to hop, we have to make it universal that all our girls, no matter what, before they leave high school, when we're all Bar Hashem, while we're still like in the environment to have the most beautiful, positive feeling about this beautiful mitzvah. So I do want to market mikvah.org. Um, Esther Schneerson made a beautiful PowerPoint presentation for, for height for 12th graders. Um, and you could, if your school doesn't use it yet, you could, mar you could market that. Explains very briefly the Taras Meshwacha cycle, Nida, Shivanakiyam, mikvah, and um, followed by a mikvah tour. I want to tell you something. So as mothers, like I mentioned before, some mothers have, will talk about this to their daughters and it's a great combination. And some girls, while they're finding themselves, they're finding their identity, whatever fancy words Rifty wants to bring in here in the high school, the teen, the adolescents, that psychological, 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 whatever stuff. But I just know from feedback from a practical level, for whatever reason, they can love their mothers and have great relationships. But to find their own space within this mitzvah, Sometimes they do like to do it independently. So I would encourage you to have somebody in the school trained, have or on occasion to be able to meet one-on-one. -on -one. Not always is it good 
like I said, from my perspective, in a classroom, there's very little you could really say in a classroom that has a whole spectrum of girls that are not cohesive, one-on-one, small groups. They shouldn't leave high school with misconceptions. As far as the mothers are concerned, just feedback from the girls. Um, you have to, they don't want to know your private life. They don't feel comfortable when you keep your pads or badika cloths like in noticeable places. I mean, you don't have to bury them under the sand, but when you're too open about it, it does make them feel uncomfortable because they feel it's, it's a breach of boundaries. There's a mother and there's a daughter. So you have to work on, we really should work on that. Also, if you have mikra stories, you can't make them personal, but what will be okay? You could say, you know, your grandmother in Russia, you know, you know where you came from? You know, Baba so-and-so, how she had to break the ice and toivol. Or let's say you had a, a, a story, a, an amazing story that happened five or 10 years ago. Not like last week, Friday night, you know, I left the house because I had to go to the mikvah. They feel super uncomfortable when the mother is like being, she thinks she's just talking about mikvah because you want to make it so natural and so comfortable, but there's something still called boundaries. And the third point I want to mention is, please give your daughter swimming lessons. She doesn't have to be a superstar Olympic swimmer, but if she, she needs to be able to toggle properly, hire a lifeguard, okay? Have her practice, practice till she could just do a kosher tefillah. It takes away so much stress when she's a collar because imagine there's so many changes taking place and now she even has to put her head under the water when she never did it before, never did it so comfortably. Again, she doesn't have to swim. She could just, as long as she's comfortable to do a kosher tefillah, take care of it while she's in high school. You could tell her, women will toggle, you're gonna be a collar. You have to go to the mikvah and you have to go to the mikvah before you get pregnant and you go to the mikvah after your period. That's what happens. Let me make you comfortable with it. You're giving her a real big gift. In fact, I think Sarduba mentioned that the Rebbe wanted a swimming pool in the, in the school building of, of um, in the London Yeshi, um, girls school for, and part of it was for this reason. That's what she um, sent me a message. So moving on to some more questions here that we might get from our children. Question number three in your booklet. If it's not Sneas for me to share a room with my sister or my brother, then why do you and Tati share a room? Okay, so you're a preschooler, you're gonna again do the same thing we've been doing. And I hope that in your mind, you're like, oh, it's so simple now because we keep saying the same things again in a different scenario. You're gonna give the fact and you're gonna give it really in a bite-sized portion because we're married and that's what married people do. You're going to say this with a smile. This isn't shameful. This isn't a secret. This isn't married people share a room. You can give them a big smile and a hug and move on with your day. Uh, for your first through fourth graders, you're going to start off the exact same way. You're going to say, because this is what married people do. And then you can go a little bit more um, into details. You know, mommy and tatties have different relationships than kindalach. You have a different relationship with different people in your family. You have a different relationship with Bobby. You have a different relationship with your cousins. You have a different relationship with your brothers and sisters. Mommies and tatties just have a different type of conversation, a different type of relationship. And therefore they share a room and you don't with your siblings. And for them, they understand that because they understand the other types of different relationships. So they could understand that this is something I may not fully grasp, but just like all those other relationships are different, so too this one is. And Shifra? So with middle school, you're really gonna continue that conversation that Rifki was just having. That was really beautiful. All the things that you explained to your elementary school child, it's a different type of relationship. It's warm, it's loving, it's caring. It's very beautiful that a husband and wife love each other. You don't make it personal about yourself. It's not about me and Tati. It's about a husband and a wife. 
Um, and then you can also take this opportunity because they're coming to ask, you know, why they don't share a room with brothers, um, that to get into Hilchus Yichud with them, you can actually discuss these halachas and explain to them that actually there are halachas in Torah about boys and girls not sharing the same space alone. And you can explain the different scenarios where that could happen. Um, if you're babysitting, you know, if they're old enough to, or as they get older, really come more into the picture. But boys and girls don't stay locked into a room together alone. And high school will go more into that. Okay, so later on, we'll talk more about outside family members. But I just wanna mention, um, the girls have already learned about safety, not being touched inappropriately. I want to tell you that a lot of instances happen with relatives, especially brothers to sisters. We don't want to scare them, but we have to keep the boundaries between brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters both just halakhically, because halakha is very mindful that brothers and sisters stay, stay safe between each other. So the, um, Shifra had brought up the topic in general of male-female interactions like teenagers, and that will start the discussion a little later on this evening. But this is a very broad discussion, and I will be doing as a whole separate webinar on this. It's posted on mikvah.org slash events, and it will be hopefully recorded and posted. So the mothers will have more examples and more mashallah how you could explain how these rules really are there to keep our feelings between boys and girls beautiful and preserved for the right time. So this question might come up if your child goes to somebody else's home, it's a little different from yours. Um, and they'll ask, why does, you know, this friend's parents or this relative only have one bed in their parents' room? Okay, so I know this is a great question because two people asked it tonight. Um, okay, so in preschool, in the preschool age, you're gonna do the same thing we've been doing until now. You're going to be matter of factual and give a bite-sized piece of information because they do. That's how their house runs and our house runs different. If you need to give an example, you could say, you know, we eat dinner at five, they eat dinner at six. <laughs> we just do things our way. In elementary school, you're going to um, really get a little bit more into the discussion of, you know, we have to respect parents' bedrooms. Parents' bedrooms are private. We don't walk into parents' bedrooms, even if your friend or relative says, come, come. We say, you know, my mommy said I can't walk into a couple's bedroom. Um, and we really have to respect those boundaries. This is a really, really great segue also to talk about your value system, to say, you know, this is how we do things in our house. This is the way that we run our house. And this is really what works for us. This is how we follow. Their decisions, what they make in their house have nothing to do with us. It's not, it has nothing to do with the decisions that we make as a family. So you're empowering them that they're part of this unit of a family. And this is part of our value system. But what they do is for them and what we do is for us. And, and then as they continue to, to explore these boundaries, as they grow up, they're going to come back to this concept again. So middle school, again, I'm so happy you're coming to ask me. I'm so happy you're opening up the conversation with me. That's a great question. It's so interesting. Um, very important with our middle schooler kids to validate their question and to make them feel comfortable coming to speak to us so that they'll always want to come to us with these random interesting questions that they just come up with from their friends' houses. Um, 
Same thing as Rifki with different homes have different standards. Um, if they ask where does the mommy sleep or where does the tati sleep if there's only one bed, then you can just be truthful and, and tell your kids that they're both sleeping in that same bed and that's their choice. In our home, mommy and tati have two different beds because that's the standards that we keep. That's, that's how we um, live in our home. And that's because you can explain to them a little more. Sometimes in halacha, a husband and a wife share the same bed. And there are some times that it's not allowed for a husband and a wife to share the same bed. There are different times in a couple's life when things are different. Um, you could also just, you know, slide this in down the kafslas. You know, maybe in other people's houses, they do have another bed for that time when the, when the husband and wife can't share a bed. There's another bed, it's hiding, it's a fold-up bed, it's somewhere, you don't know where it is. It's very, it's very possible. And this is a personal choice that everybody makes, and this is what we do in our family. So again, Shifra, fantastic. I would do the same in high school. Again, if it didn't come up yet. If you notice, a lot of Shifra and my department really overlap, because it really depends on the age of development and when the question comes up. I do want to mention in high school, I would mention Nida time and Tahira. I would use Nida and Tahira. They already learned safer mitzvahs over and over again. They know there's a tumor called Nida. They know they got their period. They know something. They could know really. We want to give chinuch over here. Really, when you follow Tahira Shushbacha, there will be two beds because when the husband and wife have to sleep in two separate beds, we want a king and a queen. So it's true. Maybe they have a separate mattress they slept in. Maybe whatever, but that's the right way to keep Tarsam Shvacham. There needs to be a place for the husband and a place for the wife to sleep separately, and the bed shouldn't be touching when they are Nida. Again, I would say, listen, you don't go into your parents' bedroom. It's not for you to snoop and see what's going on there with beds together, beds apart. Not for us. Kaiser Joshua is private. Respect that privacy and move on. Awesome. Here's a great question, and I know we want answers to this question because it's going to happen all the time. Sometimes schools do this. And I know that Sarah dug up a really beautiful Rashima of the Rebbe discussing why we should not do this. But in case it happens, what happened with the story of Dina? What happened with the story of Bacheva? Why did my Mora or my Rabbi skip Sukkim and Chumash or Navi? They are so curious. They want to know the story and their teachers skipped it and they're coming to you because they love you and they trust you and they know you're going to give them an answer. What do you tell them? So really the preschool age, this is not coming up. Your preschoolers, Mora is not showing them that they're skipping something in circle time, you know, they're not going to happen. Um, in elementary school, you're going to be honest and you're going to assess how much information your child's really going to need. So if your child's really bothered because now this has become this big deal that the teacher intentionally, you know, skipped over, um, you may have to go a little bit more in depth. Um, but take it slow, give them bite-sized pieces and then ask them, how do you feel about it? What do you think about this? Do you have any questions about this? And then assess the need for more information. They may be like, we're fine. They have no follow-up questions. They may have follow-up questions. Now it, in the older age of this, and I'm sure um, Shifra is going to cover this, but in the older age of this, in, in your fourth graders, especially if they're a little bit um, precocious maybe, um, you may want to have the answer come up in the form of a Dratira, in the form of, you know, a Sikha, in the form of something more Kedushadik, so that it really gives power to this. 
Um, but you really want to go through it piece by piece. And there isn't a specific way to do it. You're going to, you're going to see what your child needs in that particular story. Cause some of the stories really vary from one to the other. So for middle school, you can really tell your child, oh, well, we can learn it together. I'm happy to learn this with you. And you can say to them, you know, I don't know why it was skipped because every part of Tyra is Kaidesh. Every part of Tyra is beautiful and comes from the Avishthar. I'm not sure why it was skipped. Um, now, obviously, if you're not comfortable teaching it to them right there on the spot, you can just say to them, you know, I really want to prepare this well. And, or, you know, I just don't have time right now. I'm going to sit down and tell them a time that you're going to sit down with them and you're going to learn. And then you go do your homework and prepare it and learn it and teach it to your child because that is what Chinuch is all about today. Okay, so first of all, I want to tell you the answer to the Rebbe. Okay, let me just backtrack about that answer to the, uh, the Rebbe. There was a group of Mechanchim from Besyakov. I think it was in Tashagama Base, and maybe we'll post it um, uh, in the follow-up email with all the things we said we post from last week. And this week, we got so many questions. We're bombarded. We'll have a separate session, just of Q&A, that will be sent to you as a recording, as a follow-up for our previous uh, sessions. But there, the Rebbe said, used, it said exactly, we don't skip at all. Just any of these stories at all. Um, but we should use Mepharshim to explain it. The Rebbe differentiated to another person in Yechidus that will say that this is very different when like children, let's say boys are running Gemara and a lot of things are skipped because it's a difficult Rashi, it's a difficult Taisvis. So if they skip other stuff also, they may skip over some of the explicit language in Gemara, like depending on the age and the stage of the child and what they absorb. So then if it needs to be skipped for whatever reason or other things are also skipped, Numela. But for Chomish, we are learning everything in order, nothing is skipped, especially those, maybe what we don't understand stories, um, we would not skip it at all. And I like to use this little incident, you know, for the girls that are asking, and they understand it very easily, because the armor Farsham, of course, that explain that an entire lineage of Mashiach, all those holy Neshamas, are all, all come down in a mysterious way that on face value, we won't understand. So I give the marshal, I had a neighbor, he was an insurance agent, agent. So he was aware of every type of Geneva, every type of theft, every type of theft that could exist. So he's a little like paranoid about it. So he took his wife's jewelry and where did he store it? He took her jewelry box and he put like a safer cover, a, a, a Hebrew book cover over it, big fat, like a kutatari size in his bookshelf. I, I remember my, his daughter show, like pulling out a safer and out comes the jewelry. And because his thought process was like, if a Ghana comes to my house, if, they'll never look in this farm shop uh, and we'll cut a to find the jewelry. For sure not, that's the safest place. So the same thing when these very holy neshamas are coming down into this world, those neshamas that are connected to the development of the coming of Mashiach, of course the Satan is not gonna want these neshamas to come. He's gonna create some, something to prevent these neshamas to come down. So Hashem brings them in such a hidden way and such a way down on face value seems so confusing because the Satan will never even go there in the first place to even look for something so holy, and that's how we could sneak this holy neshama down on earth. And then in high school, you also have to explain these events, how each of them, for example, somebody brought up about Vayishak Yaakov Rucho. I have a whole, uh, there's a medrash, there's Tanya. We have to explain it, first of all, halachically, how it was acceptable, and then with the medrash and with the Tanya, there's, I, I could give a whole share on it, but you gotta do the research. When you show them the beauty of Tyra, and what it really stands for is like, wow. So they see that Tyra is multi-layered. There's Pshat, Remez, all the different layers, and there's Chassidus. 
So you bring in the beauty of Torah that we see it in context of Kedushan Torah. You can't just leave them mystified. Thank you. So important. Okay, so it's creeping closer to 9.30 and we still have some really important questions we want to cover. Can we do this? I think we can. Let's go. We are going to end by 10 tonight. So you're walking down the street with your children and they look and they see and they say, why are those people kissing? That's disgusting. Or they look at you and they say, do you do that? Okay, so your preschooler, they take the world at face value. There's so much that's new. They're not going to really question that. Um, so the likelihood of your preschooler questioning seeing a couple kissing on the street is very low. But if they do, you could just move right on to the elementary school. That means you have a very precocious child. Your elementary school kid, um, you're going to answer them very directly. No, it's not disgusting. It's just the wrong place. And then if they follow up and they say, do you and Tati do that? Yeah in private and then move on move on with your conversation they don't need to hear more details so the same thing with middle school it's not disgusting it's just the wrong place and then you can talk to them about the kruvin in the base amigdash and you can tell them do you know where the kruvin were do you know what the kruvin looked like the kruvin looked like a boy and a girl hugging each other and the, it looked like a husband and a wife in an embrace. Where were those Kruvim? They were inside the Kedush Kedushim, in the holiest place of the base of Mikdash, in a very hidden place that it wasn't out in the public for everybody to see. And in those Kruvim, the boy represents Hashem and the girl represents Knesset Yisrael. And when a husband and a wife embrace and they come together, it's something that's Kaddish Kaddashim. It's something so special and so incredible that it's private. Um, and we, we add the element of Kaddushim, we add the element of privacy to that. And you can be honest with them that this does happen. Okay, and in high school, they, they, they should know because especially the girls that don't see their parents hugging and kissing, at a young age, you have to let them know, of course, of course, there's affection. Like, what's the question? We love each other. We express it physically. It should be a fact. They should know it. They shouldn't have to guess. But it's done private. It's a secret. When they're in high school, a little old, again, if they're just if they're like seeing so much movies and they're like you, we, not you, like they're so into it. Then we have to balance it the other way. We want to add like what what it says in Kabbalah when husbands and wife kiss, like the two lift and the two lift complete shame Hawaii and the arms embracing. We draw the condition side and they're like fascinated. Oh, it's holy? They think it's like dirty and they're confused, but it's dirty and it's fun and we can do it, we could do it. And we, again, the more the clip is there or the second review, the more we have to increase and flood them with more sources of how beautiful and holy this is. Let's move on because it's so late. I was supposed to bring the amazing book, Men, Women, and Kabbalah. And hold it up, but just putting it out there. It's actually a book by my father, Steve Freeman. Memo um, and Kabbalah has really, really beautiful quotes from the Rebbeim, from um, different stuff for Kabbalah about intimacy that you can show your teenagers. Um, okay, they come dangling in their hand, a pad or a tampon or a badika cloth. What is this? So one second, I think we know the philosophy already. Maybe we should just like answer to the point and move on. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, where do you find it? Let's put away. It's mommy's and we're not gonna play with it. So you establish boundaries and move on. Um, in elementary school, if a girl if a girl came, I would really share a little bit more details. Um, just something as simple as, you know, when, you, when you're married, you're gonna use it too, but it's really private, let's put it away. Um, and, you know, remind, remind them that it's something that if, if the, you feel the need to give them more information, you don't want them sharing that with their friends. If you made a personal parental decision to share a little bit more, telling them, you know, it's about Tarsim Shbach or whatever you felt was appropriate, this is a great place to remind them, you know, this was my choice to you. Don't share it with your friends. Um, so for middle school, the pad and the tampon, hopefully they've got their own supply and they know exactly what they are and how to use them. Um, because you're an amazing mother and you taught them for the Badika cloth, you can tell them, well, you remember how we talked about mikvah? Um, this is part of the halachas that have to do with the mikvah. It's something that women use in order to go to the mikvah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm actually going to go back because now I rushed through and I forgot. So if it's an eight plus year old, you're going to go to Shifra's answer. So you're going to give them more information. If it's not your badika cloth, if it's the pad or tampon, you're going to want to, that's a great segue to have the conversation. Okay, and I nothing to say. Let's move on. Well, we're good. So, number eight, um, we're going to correct the misconception here. The kid came and asked, "Does kissing make a baby?" The preschooler, you're going to say, "No, Hashem, Mommy, and Tati make a baby," and move on. Elementary school, no, Tati has a part of the of the DNA of the baby. Mommy has an egg, and when they're married, Hashem helps them have a baby. It's literally that simple of a discussion at that age. Tati has the DNA, mommy has an egg, and Hashem creates a baby. So for middle school, you'll just correct that misconception, and you'll say, well, it doesn't make a baby, but a husband and a wife kiss each other out of a lot of love. But in the process of creating a baby, and if you need to, you'll explain everything we explained before, there's a lot of love and affection and it feels very good. So kissing is part of that experience. In high school, and especially the ones that are exposed, know a lot of details that, of types of activities that men and women can do together that are fun and exciting and create pleasure. So it depends how much they know, we have to couch pleasure in dignity, that there, there's a shulchan aruch, just like, like a yid, the way we eat, we eat with dignity, we don't press, we don't eat, we don't gobble, we don't grab food from somebody else's plate. So because we're Am Kaddish, there are halachas in shulchan aruch, how we could really enjoy the food, so to speak, but in the context of dignity, because we're the presence of the Eidushter. And then you hear what they ask, and you'll answer the question accordingly. And some of them know a lot more, and some of them know less, but this is the, we're adding here that, Again, that passion and fun, but because we're Am Kaddish, it's a level of dignity and Chazal teach us what means dignified eating, what means dignified way of enjoying the pleasure of our gufim. So for the next three questions, for everyone following along in the little booklet, in the handout, um, you're going to notice that two of these questions are added on. They're, they were always intended to be discussed. They were part of the scenarios later, but because we felt they were extremely important, we've moved them up here. Um, so we've got an extra two questions and they're slightly out of order from what you have in your booklet there. So you can write them in wherever you want, either later at the scenarios or right here. Um, I just want to make sure that you know that anything that's later on in the booklet that we do not cover tonight 
we will make sure to cover in an additional bonus Q&A session that we will be giving all of you because for some reason we thought we could do all of this in two sessions and we definitely see now that we can't. So we're gonna have a fourth session and don't worry, we will do our very best to answer all of those questions. But these three we felt were extremely, extremely important. So number nine, you do not have this written down, feel free to write it down. This is important. Number nine. I see my young son, young son touching his private parts. I see my daughter under her blanket and it's obvious that she's touching herself. Can you address what we call the term for this, which is masturbation in kids and in teens? Okay, so in your preschool and elementary school, um, primarily your preschool, a little bit of this is just normal exploration. What you're going to want to do is to assess what is happening. Is there a pattern to when your child is going into a private space to do this or doing this in a non-private space? What is happening? Is it anxiety related? That's the key here. We want to see if this is a coping mechanism, albeit maybe not the most healthy choice, um, but we wanna see if this is your child's coping mechanism. If we see that this is anxiety related, we can discuss better coping tools. We can show our children very, you know, specific breathing exercises, breathe in for five, breathe out for five, go up and down, in and out, and breathe and calm yourself down. We can use Bach flower remedies. We can give them kinetic sand. Um, we could, you know, put them in a bath to relax and buy them special bath bombs if they need that. Um, if it's done in front of other people, because they just may not have the social awareness for it, um, then we want to discuss that this is really a not appropriate thing to be doing in the living room or wherever else. Um, and the third option is, is sometimes kids do this out of a sensory, like a sensory need. Maybe they're not, they have sensory processing disorder or some sort of sensory um, input that they're looking for. If for your child, it's really because of sensory input, give them something else to replace it with. Give them a vibrating toothbrush, um, give them a soft fuzzy blanket, spicy or sour food, gum that they can chew. Discuss what they can use if they feel that they need that input. So with your middle schoolers and early high school, so here I'm addressing age 11 to 16 years old. The most important thing here is not to bring in any element of shame or guilt. Don't make them feel embarrassed about what they're doing or feel guilty about what they're doing at all. Address it very matter-of-factly. So again, you want to do the same thing. You really want to figure out, you want to assess, you want to be that mother who knows your child. Figure out if they're doing this out of curiosity and they think it's something good or if they're doing this from a low self-esteem or if they have anxiety or there's an emotional disconnect, if there are any of those underlying issues, then you need to address that first. So if the child has any of these low self-esteem or any anxiety, you must deal with the underlying issue first and you can ignore the action that they're doing because they obviously need long-term tools to help them deal with the underlying condition. And then what's happening on the surface will move on. 
you may need to speak to a professional to help you probably will to help you get through this and help your child through whatever they're going through. But if you figure out that they're just doing this because they're curious and they think it's something nice and it feels good and they're enjoying it, then you just tell them openly and bluntly, again, no shame, no guilt, just openly and bluntly, this is reserved for marriage. And it's not for now. This is something that we do when we get married. So a husband and a wife, you know, they, they have this these tools to use, but this is not for you right now. And it has to be very matter-of-factly that you say it to them. Okay, when we talk about upper high school, okay, so first of all, I wanna mention the halacha. In halacha, we're only talking about female it will be addressed next week in Hashem. I mean, older boys, not little kids. Females in halacha, there is, there, it's, it's to masturbate. Let me make that clear. It makes it simpler to deal with when it's not against halacha. However, the Arizal does frown. We don't just like ignore it completely. If she, because it says So if you can, um, may want to mention that if and it's just a feel good thing. Because the truth is, for many, uh, they masturbate. They discover their body, they're curious, they know what brings them pleasure, and that's it. And maybe it's even good when they get, it may be good, maybe beneficial, maybe. Okay, we seem to be having issues here. Sarah is breaking up. Um, but being that Sarah is the one who has done extensive research on this particular topic up until today, I don't want to speak for her. She's been speaking to uh, Mashpiam and therapists up until like right before this class. So I want to leave this to her. Let's hope that she gets her connection back. Rifki, we'll move on to the next question. Absolutely. So number 10, a mom sees her daughter is expressing, was Sarah doing this one also more? You're both doing this one. Okay, so I'll do my part. Um, a mother sees that her daughter is expressing closeness to boys her age, um, either, you know, with looks that she has on her face that she's enamored by the boys or with, you know, conversations, she's open, she's speaking up. So first thing, mothers, if your daughter comes to speak to you, wow, you have an amazing relationship with your child, feel flattered. They're coming to you for support. It's an incredible thing that they've come to you. So don't blow the opportunity to have to build that relationship. If they're not coming to you, then recognize that your role as a mother is to provide them with positive support, to be there for them, to guide them. If you're wondering about boys, that will be discussed next week. So what should you do with your daughters? Um, give them information. Now it's gonna be in the in the following divinity and marriage class. That's how I was gonna bring it up. Okay, incredible, incredible. Um, so Sarah, you were breaking up. We moved on to question 10, but you need to go back and do. Do you hear me now? Do you hear me yeah. now? Okay, yeah. sorry about that. Okay, so. Okay, same for my children. <laughs> they were doing something heavy in another computer and that's what happens. Hashem, we share space. And uh, now you hear me, it's fine? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so back to masturbation. I think you need to repeat because you broke up. Great. 
So we're talking about upper high school. I, I just want to say that I did confer with therapists in our community, Crown Heights community, that deal with a lot of high school and seminary girls that masturbate. It's very, very common now. Uh, unfortunately, during COVID, these little videos of how-tos were all over the place and a lot of curiosity. So, so we have to be aware um, what it's all about. Do we bring it up to our children? Do we wait till they ask? That's your own voice, your own child. But basically, in a nutshell, and you could speak this over with a firm therapist, yes, some people, some girls, they masturbate, they discover themselves, they're curious, they feel good about their bodies. When they get married, they could, they know how their bodies work well, and show my stroke, story's over from, the, from that perspective. Although by Hasidim, we do go according to Kabbalah, and Ariza does frown on, on even female masturbation. It's not like neutral. By Kabbalah, you're going into negative territory, so to avoid it is even better. Then, then we have a, some hashkafic, um, hashkafic ideas they could bring up to pre-marriage age girls, for sure. And that is that, again, sexual pleasure is not just a physical thing. We want it to be in the context of a full relationship. There's a deep emotional connection, a soul connection that's also in the context of a physical, a physical pleasure. So we want to have, we want to move towards experiencing them all at once, like in, in the same setting, because that's really the ideal situation. So that's, we could talk more about that. We could also talk about Mashpi and Mikabo, that in the, midst of, in the midst of Aina, the man has a super great sense of satisfaction when he can provide for his wife. And we have feedback from girls that are like, I could do this myself, what I need my husband for, I could find my pleasure, I could do without him. And that could create an imbalance in the marriage relationship when the husband is so excited to make his wife physically happy this way. And she kind of been there, done that, she could do it when she's neither. And it, it does create a sense of imbalance. It's something that they want to think about going towards marriage. If they could, if it's just out of curiosity, they could kind of remember this very important thing that will, will, how, how will that affect their future marriage? Again, no shame, no guilt, just a fact, a hashkafic fact, that they can make a choice. But I want to reiterate, just like Rifty mentioned and Schiffer mentioned, often it is a self-soothing technique. Not always, often it's a way to release their anxiety and to feel good. And once they get into the habit, it's very hard to stop at all. And what happens is, and I've seen this a lot through college teaching for many years, if it's due to anxiety, then it, it, it also creates another kind of tension when it's time to be with their husbands and time to enjoy each other. It's hard for them to climax necessarily in the context when they need to or want to because that adds a, another degree of anxiety. But the idea is deal with the underlying anxiety. If your child suffers some anxiety, make available whatever help, professional help, many different sorts, natural healing, whatever you want, but explore the process of how one could deal with anxiety so we don't need to relieve our anxiety in a way that may make it more difficult to enjoy the full intimate experience. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was so important. Um, so we do have about 12 minutes left, but we started question 10. So I just want to tell everyone that there is going to be an in-depth um, seminar also through mikvah.org, really on this topic of talking to your teens with Sarah Razav. We started the question, so we will briefly answer it. I think, um, I think um, because it's so late, either we'll do it in the Q&A, the high school, or we'll and we'll do it in the Q&A. Because be we started answering, but we didn't finish. So we'll go back to it next time. I, we, have very, we only have 10 minutes and we've got, we want to do question 11, which is shorter. Okay, so you want to skip to question 11. Correct. 
because the question right. plan is more elaborate. There's a, there's a lot involved. Perfect. How do you deal with okay. those beautiful so, romantic feelings about struggle? How long right. so question like 11, um, we really thought was very important. My daughter's friends came over and I watched them hugging each other and caressing each other in a way that made me feel uneasy. So go okay. for it. So I'm going to start at the younger ages. The younger ages, a lot of childhood, um, our children process the world through physical touch, especially our boys. They have to touch, they have to feel, they have to taste, they have to do all sorts of weird things with the world around them. And it doesn't have the underlying emotion that we give it or the underlying meaning that we give it. We do have to teach our children what is appropriate and not is appropriate. What, what things that are going to come up in the context of our children hugging and kissing and being together in those sorts of ways is we have to teach them when to respect the boundaries of the person that they're with. So it's a great place to start talking about personal space. Take your kids, tell them, hold your hands wide, go in a circle, that's your personal space. Let's try to respect each other's personal space. We talk about consent. Does the other person feel comfortable with what you're doing? Do they accept you into their personal space? And we talk about safety. If anything makes you feel a yucky feeling in your belly or if anything makes you feel like nauseous or yucky, then that's something that we don't wanna do. Even if everyone else is laughing and having a good time, we don't want that. There is a certain amount of this that really is benign. Kids will roughhouse, kids will tumble, kids will snuggle together under a blanket on the couch. They'll do that and it doesn't have the meaning, but we still have to teach them these concepts so that as they grow up, they're respecting healthy boundaries and having functional interactions between each other. And when it comes to girls that are already preteens and teens, um, we do have to give them a lot matter. A lot of things happen in camp and they, they get confused what's appropriate and inappropriate type of touch. So even though they may feel something's weird and they don't feel good about it, but if other people are doing it, it seems like fine to them. So again, we have to also explain, and this again from the from therapist in Crown Heights that I deal with, you hug and kiss your friend and then you let go. You don't hold on to them on and on and on. You don't rub them and stroke them on and on. The exception would be if there was a trauma, like they just heard bad news, somebody was nifter chasvashom, of course, you want to sue them and keep them grounded. But on a regular basis, just to show love and affection and closeness, not physical. It's not, it's not correct. It's a sign that something else is going on usually. Either they just don't know better and they could stop, or um, you have to find out what's really going on there. If they had um, education in what it means arousal, what means feelings that are aroused, hormones, then they may know a difference on their own, like when you're crossing the line, but many of them will not unless you tell them. But for, there's the giver and there's the receiver. So now we talked about the one that's initiating this all kinds of close con uh, contact. No, it's not appropriate. And the one on the receiving end, you have to tell them, you're allowed to say, this is my private space. I, I don't let, please stop. I don't feel comfortable with this. They have to learn to be assertive that they could actually protect their private space. The next thing they should do is they should, if it happens, they should, the big, biggest help, but they're afraid, but the girl needs me and she cries and she needs those hugs and she wants to do it privately and she wants to be in my bed, on and on. We have to find somebody professional to help the girl that Pashat doesn't respect people's, her, her girlfriend's uh, private space. So again, we need more education. A lot of the girls, they don't know. But once we tell them what's right and what's wrong, um, they should be able to deal with it. 
Thank you so much. We did have pictures and diagrams. We really wanted to get through. We had scenarios. We had that question number 10 that we really wanted to get to, but we also really value your time. And we have some beautiful ideas that we would love to leave you with tonight. So go ahead, Sarah, share with us. So my final words for today, and again, you'll have to hear the rest of the story. There we have another, so many more beautiful things that we did want to share. The little videos, the little pictures, the fun stuff. We did a little scary stuff. But, um, and all the questions and answers, we really have so many that we, you know, but Emir Hashem, there will be a follow-up. It won't be, I don't know if it's gonna be a certain time or just like watch it whenever you can. But it, there will be an important piece that, again, we thought we could do it in two hours and two hours, but we were, we made a big mistake. This should have been a four-session thing if we really wanted to do it even better. But Baruch Hashem, we are doing what we're doing. So I do want to tell you something very important. If the Abishter gave you a certain child, like I said way back in the beginning, you were empowered to take care of that neshama. So you may have learned a lot today. Some of us are like, wow, I'm doing this great. I've done it all the time. I even have more ideas. And some of us, oh no, I did it all wrong, including myself. Just letting you know, including myself. I'm like, oh no, why did I do it? You feel so guilty. Maybe you should have done better, etc. Believe in yourself and believe in a shakha process. So today is the first day, the first day of tomorrow, the first day of the continuation of this journey. And remember, Hashem loves you and Hashem loves your child. And that's why Hashem put your child in your hand because you're the best shidduch. <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to share that when uh, we, I feel very passionate about this topic. Obviously, that's why we are part of this group of women who are giving this class. But when we started to really get down to it, I kind of did a step, a step back and I'm like, well, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm part of this journey also. And I felt like if I'm telling it to you, what about when I'm with my children and I don't do it perfect? So here's the good news. We gave you tools. This is based on our research. Do we always get it right? Mm -mm, we don't. But we know that these are our children and we could go and do it part, uh, part two, part three, part four. We can revisit the conversation and clarify things. And we just need to keep putting our best forward to our children. It's a journey. It's, it, there's no specific beginning and time that you have to be perfect and that your children are going to get the perfect answer for you. But we have to keep practicing, keep trying keep reaching out to our friends, keep reaching out to people who know better and have been there and done that. And just keep moving forward and keep trying again the next day because if you mess up the first day, it's okay. <laughs> We're all part of this journey together. So thank you all so much for joining us tonight and being part of our journey. We know that it's going to be our kinderlach, our children who will lead us to greet Mashiach, the Tzivah Hashem. Just like those beautiful children born out of Mesiras Nefesh, for their, from their mother's Mesiras Nefesh in Mitzrayim, the mothers who were broken and bruised and battered, and yet they came out to their husbands with love, with their mirrors, and they conceived beautiful neshamais in Mitzrayim. Those neshamais came to Kriyas Yamsov, and they pointed and the Rebbe says, because they were pointing, they could see the Abister. You know that those Nishamas were born out of Kedusha, the Tara. And those were the children that brought 
Klal Yisrael to Mashiach to leaving Mitzrayim. We as mothers today, we have the incredible role of birthing our children and raising our children, the Kedusha, the Tahara. And I just want to bench all of us without getting too teary-eyed <laughs> that we should really just hold the hands of our children with their faces shining, shining with the Kedusha of their Neshamas that shine through. And together we should all run to greet Mashiach now. Amen. Hasi, can you please repeat where we have the events posted for the future webinar? Yes, hi everybody. Okay, thank you all for joining us tonight. I want to just clarify a couple things. First of all, tomorrow you will be getting the recording as a link in your email. I ask that you respect um, the, pre the presenters and please do not share your link with your sisters and daughters and, and children. It really, um, you know, the integrity of the course and we know who we're talking to. We're talking to fellow moms and that's the intended audience and we ask you respect that. So tomorrow is the, uh, you'll, you will get the recording link in your email. For those of you who are listening um, as a recording and you have questions that you also want um, answered during this bonus session, please feel free to email me, crifkin.mikfor.org. I know some of you may like to um, message the presenters privately with your questions, so I'm going to ask you to do all of us a favor, and if you're going to do so, please do it in written form uh, versus voice note. It will just help us really compile it all and make sure that your great question gets answered. So it's to your benefit. Keep it in written form. We'll be able to compile it all and address it in the bonus session. So again, your recording is coming tomorrow and any further questions can be messaged to texted email to crifkin at mikvah.org. To find out more information about Mrs. Marazov's class for specifically dealing with teaching teens about the, um, uh, about the relationships between boys and girls, thank you, um, and also the sessions for intimacy for men and women, please go to mikvah.org forward slash events. It's all over there. And again, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, social media, and take care and good night. <laughs>